the project. Kuwait. Learn. Learn. All right, Meg, let's hear the last name. <laughs> oh, no. El Nasrallah? <laughs> yeah, close enough. Donna Nasrallah. Close enough? Okay. Yeah, clo- like, close enough. Donna Nasrallah. version of enunciation on my, my letters there. You got it. Yeah, you definitely got it. Awesome. Well, we had Miss Donna on. Is the first female to represent Kuwait in the Olympics. She went to the Athens Olympics in 2004 as a 16-year-old female racing in races that were outside of her comfort zone. This interview was absolutely incredible of what it takes to be a world-class athlete, what it takes to get started as a novice in running. Fun fact, they're very, very similar, just very in degree. I had an amazing time learning from Donna. What an incredibly like soft-spoken, but absolutely beautiful voice and beautiful woman. Yeah, no, I mean, she had so much to talk about. And I, I still go back to the story when she was talking about when she was 16 years old going into the Olympics. And, you know, I'm not going to ruin it for everybody. You got to listen to this episode. I think she touches on so many different things in, from society, culture to athletics and just being an all-around athlete. Absolutely. I'm excited for this one. Have a listen and let us know your feedback in the comments. And if you guys want a chance to win a free t-shirt, leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And this week's winner is The Real Mishad. Walla, so much funny. The Meg and Mehdi together. And my wife now want a power lift. I love you, man. And your wife powerlifting is key. So dude, send us your... That's so cool. I know, right? (laughs) Send us a DM with your email and your information and we will get your shirt to you. All right, buddy? Amazing. Congratulations. All this and more in today's episode. So Donna El Nasrallah, right? I said the last name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, first female Kuwaiti Olympian. Tell us your story. How did it all get started? Where did it come from? And how hard have you had to work over the years? First, I'd like to thank you guys for inviting me as a guest. And it has been um, awesome listening to your guys' podcast and getting to know you guys. For those that don't know me, my name is Donna, and I'm definitely an avid runner. I had the honor of being the first woman ever to represent Kuwait at the Olympics during the Athens Games in 2004. And then in Athens, I competed in the 100-meter race. And then in December 2006, I participated in the 800-meter and 4x100-meter relay during the Asian Games in um, Doha, Qatar. And during both of these major competitions, I did not have much notice or the proper coaching to compete to the best of my ability. And then although I ran the 100-meters a meter race in Athens, I believe I'm much more suited for the 800 meter run. And back in 2004, I thought I was much more suited for the 15. And at the time, I did not run in pursuit for an Olympic dream. Running has always been my passion. I run because I enjoy the way running makes me feel. It's a time for me to just let my mind wander in any way I like. Um, during a relaxing run, it made me feel happy. I also enjoyed competing when I got the chance to race. As you guys may know, there's not very many opportunities for competitions in Kuwait, although it's slowly progressing. My experience in Athens will always be a blessing and I'll, that I will always cherish. However, it's not the most memorable running performance. So during that time, I was in high school. I went to four different high schools, moving back from Kuwait and then back to the U.S. Um, I was living with my grandparents in Oregon. And during my freshman year, I uh, went to high school in the U.S. And that year, I got to experience being on a cross-country and track and field team, which was a really amazing experience for me. Um, We trained six days a week, got to see your teammates and just uh, create friendships at the same time. And I remember I enjoyed it so much that when I came back to Kuwait as a sophomore, I craved the desire to be a part of a track team. And as you know, we did not have such sports at our high school. I think only one of my high schools back in Kuwait had a track team for the very first time that year. And it lasted a week with one competition. And I came just from the U.S. where we competed almost at a weekly basis. You know, you have your cross-country season starting from, I guess, September and then kind of ending around uh, the end of that year, November. And then you kind of take that break off in December, but you're not really taking a break. It's kind of your base period. You train during the winter. You come back for the tracks season, which starts uh, the beginning of next semester until the end of the school year. And if you do well, you go to what they call All-Americans or the Nationals. Um, and it's definitely a whole different way of sports. So when I came back to Kuwait, a friend of mine told me about a running club. At that time, it was Nadi Fatah. And 
in Kuwait. That's the way, only way I know, and I think still, that you can join track and field. And I joined it immediately. And while running in Kefan, I started to run with the boys because we did not have any competitive girls at that time. And then at that time, while I was practicing, the International Olympic Committee required a few countries to have women participate at the Olympics or they would not be allowed to take their men. So Kuwait chose to bring a track and field athlete. And so someone saw me running at Kefan and asked if I'd like to participate in Athens. And of course, my 16-year-old self was delighted and excited. I sometime, And some time had passed after that, and I was being told that I would have to race for my spot to uh, participate in Athens. So I showed up to the track for a race, not knowing what I was really getting into. I quickly realized that it was the Olympics, and the 100-meter race started, and I used all my might to compete. You know, I was not a sprinting athlete. By the time I crossed the finish line, it was a dramatic win. And I thought I had done it. And I was then informed that I was to race again. I accepted the challenge. And this continued for seven consecutive races, me with a clear win every time. And so that kind of just ties into some of the issues that we have in going in. But somebody's got to start somewhere. And this was the start for Kuwait to participate at an international level and we may not have that world-class ability at this point. Someone had to start it. And then we progress and try and go from there for set a standard so that other people can try and beat that time because records are always meant to be broken. My aim is always to kind of get your time as fast as you can. And I've gotten my time pretty quick. We could, we could go into that later. And that helps set a standard for other future athletes to possibly beat a standard for us to start to be able to participate at a world-class level with other countries around the world. And at the time when I had raced for Athens, I was told I couldn't compete. I was a mid-distance to distance runner and I was told I had to compete in the 100 meter race. And also at that time, I was also told two weeks before my race that I would have to learn how to use the uh, blocks. I don't know if you guys see the sprinters using these blocks. Yeah. If it goes wrong, you get disqualified. And I'd only known about that about two weeks. I know at the Olympics, they have these wires. So you have to really step off right. And so that was a huge concern for me uh, going into it, making sure I get it right. That must have been gut-wrenching when they told you that, that you have to learn all this stuff. And not only that, you're taken out of your comfort zone. I mean, I tip my cap to yeah, you. Definitely. That's tough to do, but... At 16 years old too. I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah. thought process at that time in my head. And like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. What, like, I guess, what was the self-talk in those times or, you know, was it like a coach that really helped you get through that? Was it your parents or what was the support system like? You know, my mom and my parents definitely were there to encourage me. You know, they just told me, you know, this is just a huge step for Kuwait and just to go out there, do my best. And I was, my mom would always tell me just to make sure I was having fun and always, you know, not to take, it's just running at the end of the day and you have to remind yourself. And I think a lot of the self-talk have improved over the years. You know, this is over 12 years ago. And my mindset's a lot different back then to what it is right now. But I didn't have a coach when I went to the Olympics. And my family at that time was were not able to make it uh, due to my father being ill. And so I had gone on my own. And so there I was, my 16-year-old self was off to Athens to compete at the world stage with no coach in tow. But I think that experience left me hungry for all the right reasons, for the joy that running and competing brought to me and the community of runners that I get a taste of here and there. Eventually, you know, I was told that I could no longer train with the boys and there I was trying to learn how to be competitive in this sport from anybody that would teach me. What was the reason you could no longer train alongside the boys? I think just, you know, the boys enjoyed having me there. I think there's just somebody above in the head of the club that didn't like a girl competing or, or participating with the boys conservatively, but I guess it was not quite enough for them. But I mean, things have changed. I've been able to now uh, train alongside with the boys while I come to Kuwait. I don't train with them, but definitely can train in the same spot that was I wasn't able to do back then. So I think definitely progress in that direction. So going back to the Olympics, because I'm, I'm curious about this. So you go there, it's you, you're on a boat by yourself, basically. How did that feel? What was, you know, back to Meg's question too, like what was going through your head when you stepped into the blocks? 
before the gunshot. You know, I think there's a lot of mixed emotions. I'm sure, you know, as most athletes get your nerves. But at the same time, I also felt, I think going into the arena, you know, you see a lot of people as huge crowds everywhere. And I thought that would be the most nerve wracking part. But I think when you're in that arena, it all kind of comes a blur. Even though there's so many people, it doesn't seem that there is that many people. I think I was definitely nervous because I know when I was on the block, uh, somebody had got disqualified and I got nervous. That was me. And so I know I was a bit nervous. You know, I felt I was pretty small, pretty short compared to the other runners that I was running against. And you could tell that these runners have been training for this for years. And here I am learning how to use the blocks two weeks before this race. It was extremely nerve wracking. And I think at that time, it wasn't my best 100 meter time, but I was so focused on just trying to get off the blocks and just making it to that finish line. Was there a big motivation to be the first Kuwaiti female? Or like, did you feel supported by Kuwait? Just knowing kind of the, the hoops and things you had to jump through and, and training and and getting out there and representing it? Like, what was that, I guess, you know, relationship kind of like? I think that's a really hard question. I think it's mixed emotions. I think at times you feel supported and at times you don't. I know the lady that was in charge of me there was uh, very unhappy being at the Olympic Village um, because she came apparently from a five-star hotel. I was very excited to be at the Olympic Village and being all of these top athletes all around me and getting to talk to them. But, you know, and there was lots of rules of who I was allowed and not allowed to associate with while I was there. But I, you know, I enjoyed all the experiences of getting to know the athletes. But I think when it came down to participating in, you know, future events or future races, I think that's where it, it got a little more difficult. You know, you have people tell you, you know, you can go. We're doing this and this. And then when it came close to the race, uh, the communication just stopped and you're just kind of left in the dark, not knowing what happened or what's going on. You get, when you speak to them, you get that sense of feeling support, support. But then when the action of something happening, it, it turns a little different. So I think it's a really hard question. And I think there's been progress. Um, you know, I feel that I've this last year, I feel that I've been supported more than I ever have. I definitely think there's room for improvement, but I definitely think think we're making some progress in the right direction. Is that for like women as a whole in sports? You see that or just for yourself specifically or? I think, you know, especially when I've gotten to know some of the athletes and listening to their stories. And I think that's a huge part in taking it to the next step is just listening to other athletes' stories and telling their stories. And I started to realize that I my story is no different than any of these other athletes in Kuwait. We share quite the same struggles. I'm not the only one in, in the situation, just trying to be able to participate for your country if that's what you desire and trying to support. But I do think a lot of people are afraid to speak up. And I know that for me, that's something that has been hard is speaking up because you're always afraid afraid that anything you say or do will be held against you. And you're just trying to enjoy the sport. And sometimes you just have to remind yourself that why you're in it in the first place and making sure that, you know, you remember that it's just running at the end of the day or whatever it is that you do here to have fun. It's amazing. It, it's funny because I, I they just recently initiated the, uh, I think the female weightlifting team here in Kuwait. One of the younger athletes, I was like, look, just keep your head down, focus on you and don't worry about all the politics. Don't worry about anything that goes on in the side. And can you talk about that a little bit? Like just having that one track mind with all all the noise on either side. Yeah, I think that's it's hard. I think something that is definitely a work of progress always to kind of keep the distractions out, just kind of focusing on you and making sure you don't compare yourself to others as well. You know, just trying to get better at who you are. And I think that is what the next step is. And so at the time, you know, for me, as driven and committed, I didn't have the tools to learn what it takes to be a world-class athlete or even even though I was getting faster, getting to that stage is putting yourself in a mental state where you're always finding the good in things. So, if, you know, if there's something negative that is happening around you or unfair is just to kind of find what good has this brought to you? You know, what has it done? And, you know, for example me trying to reach these high world-class standards, I was told that, so for example, long story short, I tried every year to 
represent my country, whether it was at the Olympics or international races, I was told that qualifying a standard, which made sense and sounded like a fair agreement if all athletes were held to that standard. And so instead of thinking that, well, that's unfair that that athlete didn't get to gets to compete, but they they didn't get held to the same standard that I got held to, then that's a negative kind of thought so to kind of change my thought and say, you know what, it's a blessing because now I will work harder to try and make that time that needed to hold a higher standard, which will in hopes create change in the future. And so I think not an easy defeat, especially when you're living in Kuwait with no access to experience, um, to have the experience of races, because I think of training is also competing, um, especially if you want to get better, you need the experience to compete at different with different levels and different races. That was something, yeah, when we've interviewed Faye Sultan before. And so a lot of that story is kind of similar too, of like not having anybody to practice with or to race with is a huge gap in that for a lot of girls, you know, wanting to progress in their sport. Definitely. And I think so hard to get to that. I mean, that's something that I think will take some time considering we don't have, you know, here in the U.S., um, as I mentioned, you know, they, they train all year round, even in during I coached here for five years. And we don't have that level of capacity in Kuwait. So we don't really have, you know, there's a certain degree of competitiveness, but I think it's going to take time to reach reach a competitiveness as a whole in the country. So even if you did have the opportunity to create races, the other issue is finding uh, athletes at a more competitive level. Right. And I think that's just going to take some time. Who did... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Maddie. No, no. I was just going to say, I mean, it's... It, athletes at a competitive level, we start so far behind in Kuwait in terms of being athletes and, you know, just having these initiation programs for children. Where in the 90s, when I was a kid, it was they used to come to the schools and recruit us. That's how I got into gymnastics and diving at Patsia Club. But from what I've understood is they haven't been doing it in the recent you know, like past five or six years. Now in the States, do you see involvement more from like schools and everything else to get athletes or get kids moving in general and sort of create the breeding ground for athletes? Uh, definitely. You know, when I came to the U.S., it was definitely a lot, you know, sports take such a large precedence here. There's lots of connections here. It opens doors. Not only that, I know when I um one of my coaches had told me that in order to be a good athlete and really understand what it takes to be a world-class athlete, I kind of need to understand the why behind things and understand how to t be able to teach it to somebody else. Because if I can teach it to somebody else, then I really understand it. I just did coaching at a high school here. And I did. I coached. Um, I started as an assistant and then worked my way up at, to a head coach for the last five years, both in cross country and then uh, helped to the track and field. And I definitely think that while I was in that atmosphere, you see a lot of athletes joining sports. When talking to the athletes, they don't just join cross country and track. Some of them join cross country and soccer, um, lacrosse. And so it's such a big thing where in Kuwait, you know, when I was in high school, I mentioned how we only had one competition and one week to train for that competition. There you, you see them just competing at such high levels. Even now, I mean, as a human race, we're just getting faster and faster and faster. I mean, if you look way back a few years ago in the Olympics, 208 at 209 was a winning time at, for an 800 meter race, where now I'm starting to see uh, some athletes in high school racing at those times. And so it's just, we're at a whole different level. And to get to those times means there's been a lot more commitment and uh, time, uh, dedication, commitment and time. You know, it's a, a lifestyle that they mm -hmm. had and so I feel that a lot of the athletes here or a lot of the students in high school really have a balance between their academics and after school activity in their sports. Do you find too that kids that are playing in multiple sports, like you mentioned, they'll do like soccer and lacrosse, just how much that helps with like, you know, avoiding burnout in a certain sport, you know, helping develop some of those time management skills. And then also like on the injury side, like the risk of overuse, like if you're only running or that's your only sport where you get exposed to some of these other, you know, skills and things, then you're not as likely to, you know, become injured from overuse. I mean, that's a lot more prevalent in the U.S. I think of kids playing multiple sports and the benefits. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think that and as a high schooler, it's good to expose yourself to multitude, just trying all different kinds of sports. It's a great time to experience uh, and just kind of develop all different kinds of skills. And I think a lot of high schoolers here, but I also see burnout of doing too much. So I know mm -hmm. uh, the athletes I coached, 
I know the school they were in, you know, they had an IB system and you know, a lot of these athletes are really smart. So they're doing really well academically, but they're here they are joining the cross country team and maybe later joining robotics or something like that. Maybe even joining a different, some of them are gearing up for that soccer season. So they're doing cross country and a little bit of soccer here and there. But I think at the end, they get a little burnt out. And so I think it's trying to find that balance of what works for you because I, and I think high school is a great time to experience what it is before you head out and see what you enjoy. Totally. I would say from my personal experience, I was forced, I kind of had to choose swimming and volleyball were the two I dabbled in when I was younger and they fell in the same competition season once I got into high school. So I had to choose and, and my family was kind of poor and we couldn't afford (laughs) multiple sports. So I had to choose swimming. But once I got to college, I was just impressed by the training that we did. It was like, we had rock climbing involved. We had Pilates and yoga. We had Olympic weightlifting. We had running. We had like every day, it was just so many different things. And I just found that as a huge shock and just what a difference that made in my swimming. I was kind of at a point, yeah, like burnt out at the end of high school, ready to give it up. And then once you got exposed to all these different sports and then you saw the impact of it on your passion and your sport that you loved, it is quite incredible. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about what it, you had to learn what it takes to be a world-class athlete. What are some of those things that um, you learned along the way? Just the training, training, a timing of eating, when to eat, how to eat. I had to learn the hard way on some of that. Just the mental way of thinking about things, even uh, not just about changing, you know, positive to negative, but also to visualize your race tactics and just how important recovery is and sleep and how that all ties into, you know, your mental, your physical and your mental all tie in together to be able to uh, perform. That visualizing one is a huge one. I mean, because your brain doesn't really know, like, you think about something scary, you can feel the reaction in your body or, you know, you visualize something happy and you can feel that reaction in your body. So to do that for your sport specific race and kind of walk yourself through that, that mentality aspect, I think that's a, a huge one. I know I've learned a lot of benefit from as well. Definitely. Especially yeah. imagine yourself like during a race, you know, if you're feeling anxious or, you know, a lot of us feel anxious or have anxiety before races, just to kind of put yourself in that situation at a mental state before the race and just kind of put yourself there and imagine yourself in different scenarios during the race, but always imagining yourself succeeding. Right. Imagining, um, but not imagining always that perfect outcome, but maybe maybe imagining different uh, tactics and how you basically tackled that race as well. Right. What are some of the fears going into a run, I guess, that you kind of cycle through? I know like for swimming, it was like, oh my God, are my goggles going to fall off? Am I going to miss the wall at my turn? Like, you know, things like that. So for running, I guess, what are some of the, like the fears that kind of go through the mind in that right before a race? So every race I've learned has been very different. 800 meter, I guess for me, one of the biggest things is going out too fast because if you go out too fast, pacing, don't have anything to give at the end and you want to make sure you have a little something to keep it going at the end. And so kind of have to learn patience a little bit and when to kind of take off. And in a 1500 meter race, you know, I've, and in some of these races, I know that I've been in some, some of these races are kind of really fast and you have to just go. And some of these races are tactical. Um, so they're not racing for the time, but they're racing to win. And I've learned that over the time, not to think so much about what my time is. Um, as my coach would say, just focus on the win, the time will come. And so always putting myself in a position to kind of get up to the front and try to make my move, but being patient at the same time. It's a tough balance. So do you want to get into some of the training questions since we're kind of going down that path? How hard is it to run? Because you see people all the time and you see it in the fitness industry, I think the most, where if someone wants to lose weight or they want to get healthy, the first thing they'll do is they'll go and they'll run after being sedentary for so long. So can you talk about some of the technical things with running and some of the things that the average person can try to do or prepare before, you know, trying to be a 5K runner or a 10K runner? Um, So I'm guessing you're meaning like a beginner? Yeah, 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 I'd, I'd say yeah, beginners. I would say if you're like a novice runner, the first thing uh, is to kind of create a habit. You know, consistency is key. So I think it's important to set yourself up for success, which means, you know, creating the habit and to keeping yourself motivated. And I think you need to set goals that you're excited and not to try too much too quickly. I've seen athletes that just kind of go out hard and they're just really motivated at the start and then they just kind of burn out and just don't have much to give anymore. And so you got to make sure you ease into it um, because you don't want to burn out. And then making sure you decide before time on the day you're taking off and the days you are not going hard. Um, So you got to be flexible with your time to 
basically make sure you do put in the work that needs to be done. And then just kind of checking the weather and making sure to dress accordingly Um, because being comfortable in your run definitely makes a difference. And to give yourself time to get those dynamic stretches in before your run, because that can help save you from injury down the road, as well as strength training and making sure you're eating correctly. And recovery and mental state are also part of your performance. And um, just kind of remember that all you need is 30 minutes of your time to reap some of the benefits of running. So it's funny, the things that you list for that are important for a novice runner are very similar to what you listed of what it would take to be a world-class athlete. <laughs> Definitely. I think though, these, these things, I think come in and everything, you know, they vary in degree. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, there's a degree to it. I mean, a class athlete won't be just running 30 minutes a day. Right. You'd be doing a lot more than that as a novice runner. That's all you really need. I mean, dynamic stretches take about five, 10 minutes. And, right. and those are all things that go tie in together just to keep yourself healthy. I think the main thing that you've yeah pointed out for both of them is just consistency, you know, creating that habit and, and staying consistent, showing up for it. What does your training look like on a day-to-day basis right now? I train six times a week. I have, I take one day off and it incorporates uh, easy runs. I have one long run and my hard days may consist of either hills or a hill, a slash track combination. Um, I do tempos, fartleks, speed work, weight training, uh, strength training. Um, I stretch and some dynamic stretches as well. So what are the tempos? I saw you post, I saw one of your posts about tempo running and I just because like you know you hear about tempo squats when it comes to weightlifting so what are the benefits from tempo running and can you explain that a little bit like what's behind it from a runner's perspective because I'm clueless with this so yeah um so tempo is kind of like an anaerobic threshold so it's I would say roughly about 25 30 seconds slower than a 5k pace or the way I like to describe it to my athletes it's not a hard pace but it is an uncomfortable but you are uncomfortable so you kind of can talk but you definitely can't recite the Shakespeare <laughs> depending on your fitness level you can hold it up from a mile to three to four miles maybe 20 minutes at that pace and uh you know it's something that I do at a weekly basis, pretty much sometimes right before a speed workout, or sometimes I I do it at the end of a long run. And it may come in miles or 800 meters to get me going or kilometers. And then when you're done, you shouldn't feel taxed out. But sometimes, you know, you'll feel tired. I I feel tired sometimes when I do it. And sometimes I feel legs are ready to go. And then I think the whole goal of it is it's about effort. So the aim is to make that pace your new comfort zone. So that maybe next time when you come back to it, that becomes your easy pace and you are now able to run a tempo at the same effort at a faster pace. That makes sense. So that I think, totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think it helps also mentally as you're having to stay at that un- uncomfortable pace and it mentally kind of toughens you up as well. So this is, this is funny. That's why I just joined a running club a few weeks ago and we just do, I don't want to say we just do it. And that's the other thing. That was the first conversation we had at the running club was not to minimize the distances that you're running. <laughs> so there's a lot of like <laughs> marathoners in there. So we're not allowed to say that we're just running a five Okay. Like we're like, we're running a 5k. This is meaningful. <laughs> it can be difficult, but I don't time or, or anything like that. But it's funny that you mentioned the paces to run it and about conversations. Cause we do find ourselves getting chatty. And for me, since I'm not timing it, the only way that I know that I'm improving is by <laughs> how easy it is for me to talk and run at the same time to have a conversation with somebody. If it's conversational pace, then I know, you know, maybe I can pick it up a little bit more. So maybe I am kind of in that tempo close to that tempo phase, but this is good information just to pay attention to a little bit more and, and kind of make that a comfort zone, you know, a little bit I think bit you bring up a really good point. I mean, I think you don't really need a watch. I mean, that's the one of these of running is all you need is a pair of running shoes really. And right. You- and being able to, you know, I can, I can pretty much go outside and run a six minute, six minute pace mile without a watch and, and know that's my pace. That's kind of learning where, where your body is at and just kind of understanding your body a little bit better. So I think it's sometimes good to not have a watch. I sometimes leave my watch at home and just go out and run. Six minute mile. That's amazing. I mean, I did a nine minute mile and I was like, I was, I was ecstatic and falling on the floor, ready to throw up. But six minutes, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's awesome. That, yeah, that's pretty cool. And I didn't do that at the start. You know, I mean, I right. that's my way there and, you know, now I can run under six, six miles. You know, it takes time. I know when I've 
got introduced to my coaches back in 2015. I couldn't even, I remember my coach giving me a hill workout and he's like, all right, you go do this hill. And then once you're done with this hill a few times, you go to that one and then that one. And I remember it was snowing outside. It was cold and I was out there by myself. You know, my coach had only seen me run once or twice and I couldn't even finish. I finished the workout, but I was on the side of the road puking and I couldn't even run back home that I had to call my husband to come pick me up. And I've come a long way from there. I mean, I can go up those hills now with ease. And so, you know, that's where the consistency comes in. Um, and right. What is it about the hills that make it such a drastic, you know, change for the body to adapt to? I mean, you're going uphill for one. So that's hard. Um, the pace. And, you know, you also want to make sure you're not going over that red line. I want to be like, you want to be able to go back down, go back up and you know, it should kind of almost like a tempo effort in some extent that you should be able to go back. It's uncomfortable, but you should be able to go back and do it again. Right. You know, the hills are such a huge, huge part of the training. I mean, it helps with speed. It helps with helps with your strength. Um, there's a lot of things that help. It helps with. You know, it's a double edged sword. You know, there it's hard, but yet it has all. You can reap all the benefits that it gives. I'm fine. Like when I run hills, like the uphill always feels great coming back down and this is like not just running hills but like on a route whatever if there are hills there but the downhill always seems to be the the worst and I find a lot of people kind of commenting on this so like what is it about is that like a mechanics you know kind of related thing or what is it about the mechanics of that recovery kind of on the downhill versus the uphill or what muscles you're using are you overusing you know front side back side or what does that all kind of look like as far as technique wise I mean you're using mostly your glutes your quads your hands um, I've never really struggled going downhill so I don't share that in common, but I usually feel pretty good when I go downhill. Um, but I do think when you go uphill, it also helps with your posture and your form and just kind of helps you get it together a lot better than when you're going down. Right. I mean, I, I had an old coach uh, tell us when we were like, how do we get faster? He was just like hill sprints. And that's what, that's what I've told all my kids in baseball is like, you know, hill sprints there it's the because that added resistance. I mean, it does so much, you know, it's like, it's kind of like if you do a heavy squat and then go do a wind sprint, you're, you're so much faster just because you got rid of that load that was on your back. Meg, back to your question about you feeling bad when you run down the hill. What yeah. I would just do is roll down. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, it. You know, the, DJ, the next DJ taught That's me funny. that one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's nice. But you did talk about training in different weather. And we're getting into fall here. And we had a run the other morning. It was raining out. And I thought for sure everybody was going to cancel. But I had never run in the rain before. And I think that might be my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. It's so amazing. Like I never have experienced a runner's high. I don't know. Maybe you can touch on that a little bit too, but I definitely enjoyed running in the rain more than just, you know, any other <laughs> weather. Yeah, I definitely been out on the, I mean, I just ran in the rain yesterday evening with my dogs. And um, I think at first I'm like not in the mood of getting wet, but then I think as I get out there and I start running, it's just something, it's just refreshing. It so is. Yeah. Okay. I feel sometimes I run a lot faster in the rain. I'm not sure why, but it just seems to be that way. So here's a question. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people like me do? Like I ran a nine minute mile and I felt like I was going to throw up and but I was still proud of myself for getting to nine minutes. How can I fix that and bring it down a little lower? Like what are some mistakes that I might be making that I would never know? Well, I'd have to. Are you running that? nine minute mile as a race or is that just trying is that your nine minute mile for an easy run it's for time so it's crossfit so it's it was you know one mile for time and that was like me kind of going all out i try and keep a pace that i could sustain throughout the entire run versus you know what you were talking about earlier with the burnout at the beginning but how could i improve that like what may be some of the mistakes, you know, would it be a short stride or like I'm a shorter person. So, you know, should I aim for longer strides by any, you know, like I have no idea. I think it's kind of like building up to it. So, you know, you, when you're training, let's say for the mile, I'm guessing this is a mile, you have that three to four week period where you're just building on mileage. So you're just adding, maybe uh, you have a long run and just going out, finding new routes, enjoying your time and just run for the first three to four weeks. And then within that time, making sure you add in 
some strides. The strides really help. You always want to kind of touch base on your speed a little bit. And they can be 70 meters to 100 meters just once or twice a week. And then eventually start to add in the tempo runs. And once you get those tempo and the fart licks, then you start adding hills, like you said. Um, hills are huge. I recommend if you can do them once a week, it does really help. And then that's after building your three to four week base training. Then you start to add all that other stuff. And then uh, kind of just once you're ready to race, just kind of, you know, keep your legs moving for that week, maybe one, two days before the race, do a little something a little bit, maybe close to race pace, and then just kind of warm up and get ready to race. Have you ever worked with a coach for, you know, like your, your foot strike or, you know, those kinds of mechanics? Like, do you recommend, you know, people starting off maybe with something like that to acknowledge maybe some, uh, you know, uh, breakdown in the, in the patterns that they might have to address before they start building up mileage? I personally have never worked with somebody that helped with my foot stride. As I mentioned before, when I was starting to really train at this elite level, my uh, coach, I've never met my coach, but was a world-class athlete himself. And I think just kind of getting out there and doing your runs and it can help though for some people. I think it's an individual thing really, you know, not one training plan works for everybody. And so I think you just kind of have to figure out what works for you. It's interesting. Uh, what are some, you mentioned dynamic stretches being a big part of like warming up for a race. Do you have a few favorites that come to mind or? I have a staple of what I do. So for me this past, I think as you get older, you know, you start to realize that uh, you're more prone to injury. Strength training becomes more important. You don't recover as quickly. And I know I've been having issues with my Achilles and so I've been having a nagging Achilles issue. And so I sometimes wake up in the morning and I feel like I'm limping a little bit. My joints aren't moving very quick and I have these exercises that I do and I'm all brand new after that. And so, so what I'm exercises sure. do you do? Yeah. I'm trying to learn anything I can learn here. So yeah, so I, some of them are don't really know their names, but for example, I'll step on a pad, um, you know, like an unbalanced pad. I'll put a band on my leg and have it tied to something else. And then you kind of stand on one leg and you, uh, move your one leg back and forth facing it and then you turn around and do another you do the sideways that makes sense and then you move backwards and you move your leg again back and forth you know you kind of do a circle and you switch around so the leg that you're moving is banded or the leg that is stabilizing is banded the, le the leg that is moving is banded so it's kind of working okay. your little muscles by your ankle right right I feel good after I do that one. And so then, on an unbalanced pad, would that be something like a BOSU ball? That Yeah, you could use that. Or there's these uh, ones that are just kind <laughs> nice of Nice one, Meg. <laughs> Maddie hates the BOSU ball. That's why I had to throw <laughs> that sorry. in there. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't I, actually I, use a BOSU ball. What I use is like a little pad. It's like okay. a looking pad. Just kind of, and you can, and if you don't have any of that, you can just step on a pillow. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> and another uh, exercise I like to do is again, I'd step on this pad, uh, use a five pound weight. And then step on, stand on one leg and use this five pound weight and just kind of like uh, take it circles around my body okay. and each way. And, and you have both feet down for that or is that on one foot as well? One foot. Okay. Sure. And then another one is just kind of rolling your ankles um, and then kind of working your calves because you really want to work because even though my Achilles are the issues, you really want to work the muscles around it as well. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of uh, going on both legs up and then going down on one. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different ones. I'm just doing some dynamic stretches, uh, donkey kicks or Anything for knees in particular? So for me, when it comes, I have not had knee issues in a while, thankfully. When I have had knee issues, it's usually not the knee per se. It's kind of strengthening other parts. Okay. So I like to do clams. That's okay. one of the things. Or when you lay on your side and you put a band and you kind of yep. work your legs up and down and do circles as well, forward, backwards, and you really start to feel uh, the burn and just kind of strengthening the muscles around there, the calves the hamstrings as well and the quads just to kind of keep the muscles stable around where your knees are at. Right. What about, so do you do this barefoot or do you do this in your running shoes or what do you find the most effective? So I have been really into barefoot. Nice. Doing things barefoot. I think it helps stabilize your muscles and helps you really work things out. And so I do that. I even use a, um, what do you call them, a toe spreader at night. Um, nice. Yeah. Oh, and um, I'm just, I like to wait. I like to also walk barefoot sometimes. And sometimes I'll cool down for a mile or so uh, barefoot because, you know, you don't want to do too much because if you're not used to running barefoot, you kind of have to train yourself for it. Right. Um, I decided I was going to go for a three mile run once barefoot and I really cramped my muscle by doing that. 
And so you really want to just get right into it. But I do think it has a lot of benefits and you just kind of have to work yourself to it. I think it's also really nice to walk barefoot and feel different sensations. Like when I go to the beach, I like to just kind of feel the rocks or the sand or the grass. Oh, there's thousands of nerves on the bottom of the foot. So it is really important for people's balance. I work with a lot of aging people as well, but just to get those different textures, you're absolutely right. And I think that's a great piece that maybe a lot of runners miss is by that little cool down, just get your feet out of the shoes and do a little cool down and walk around barefoot and let your feet feel some different textures. I think that can be huge. That's good advice. Definitely. Yeah. I think that definitely helps. What about footwear for running? Is there any specifics there that you recommend for people maybe starting out? I don't like to do the recommendations of footwear because everybody's feet is different. Different. Yeah. I mean, some people have flat feet um, and I think shoes are probably better for them. You know, where for me, I like the more tighter fitting shoes. I think I find that not one shoe fits everybody. I feel that you have to kind of find what works for you. Awesome. I like that. That's pretty cool. Now, Donna, I mean, you're an online coach too, right? I mean, so why don't you, why don't you talk about that? I mean, that's something okay. that I think I a lot of people would be interested get, in. Yeah. So, you know, being here, I mean, I guess I can kind of explain who my coaches are a little bit first. So when I came to the U.S., you know, it opened a lot of doors and exposed me to connect with other people. And it's always been something I've always aspired is kind of promoting sports in Kuwait. And at one point I wasn't sure how. And then at one point I was like, well, I can head when I come back to Kuwait, I can coach. But at that point, I'm now living here and it's not something that I can come as as I please. And so when I went met my coach back in 2015, his name's Coach Timbro. You know, at that time, you know, I was kind of at a point of my career where I was thinking, all right, I've been kind of coaching myself and I'm not getting any worse, but I'm not getting any better. So I'm just going to give myself one last goal before I decide to kind of take a different path. And so I went and joined a physical therapy because I read online that they had a coach there and I had no idea who the coach was. I just read that there was a running coach. And so I decided I was going to write a letter because I don't really have much money anyways at the time. And I wrote a letter explaining who I was and what my goals was and I'd be would love to have a basically a coach. And I went to meet him. It was to my shock that his name is Coach Timbro. He was a professional runner who had represented the United States at the 2004 Olympic Games. And there he ran the 5,000 meter where he finished 11th in the finals. And I thought, oh, wow, must was like kind of a blessing put on my side. That was my first Olympics, which was his last Olympics. Um, and I thought, wow, this is going to be my coach to pursue my dreams. And of course, that didn't that didn't end up, I mean, he hasn't coached me at the moment. Um, you know, it's one of those things where man plans and God laughs. But he also was a member of three world championship teams and two world cross country teams and a formal American record holder for the 3,000 meters and a 10-time USA national champion. So I had to learn from him, um, even though it was just a, a time. You know, he ended up uh, moving to Boston and having busy working there. I he, he was someone that educated me in the sport and really taught me what it takes to be where I'm at, um, which is a gift in itself. Um, I think it's one of the best gifts I've ever uh, received. And after that year, when I met him, I had a time of 218 and 800 meters from university. And within that one year, I went from a 218 to a 209, breaking that 210 barrier, which is one of the hard parts in an 800 meter race. I think that's like the one barrier that you get excited about before it gets a little harder again to start beating. He's never seen me run except once or twice that whole time. And he introduced me later to his Coach Ron Werhurst, which um, at a time he uh, served as a head cross country uh, or a head coach at the University of Michigan um, for 37 years. And there he coached 89 All-Americans, three NCAA champions, I believe eight Olympians and two Olympic medalists. And at that time, I was also training with, and this includes uh, one of his athletes, um, Nick Willis from New Zealand, who is a 15 year silver medalist in the 2008 Beijing Olympics and a 1500 meter bronze medalist in the 2016 Rio Olympics. Within that next year, we brought my time down to a 208. And so it's at the time I was really feeling, you know, I think that was one of my biggest, you know, you're talking about highlights. The Olympics wouldn't be my biggest highlight in performance. I think when I was working with them, that was my biggest highlights when it came to uh, performance. And it's not just in the progress that I was seeing, but it was also about feeling a part of something and having these extraordinary coaches kind of work with me. I thought it was amazing, especially when they're trying to help me pursue my goals and educating me and what it takes 
to be at that level. But that was a really amazing experience for me. And it's really taught me a lot. And then currently I'm coached by Amanda Eccleston, who is a professional runner for Brooks Running Company, uh, which is a, uh, for those that don't know, Brooks is a running shoes here. I think it's located in Oregon uh, She rep- or Seattle. I can't remember, but she represents the United States. And uh, for the 2000 Olympic trials, she came in fourth place, beaten by hair by an Olympian, Brenda Martinez. And her coach is Coach McGuire, who's the current um, University of Michigan coach there and has developed quite a few successful mid-distance coaches. And so it's been really nice to be exposed to different styles of training. You know, with Coach Ron Warhurst, I did a lot of longer stuff and lots of hills where with Amanda, we do a lot of speed, which can kind of get you to being injured and just kind of seeing what works. And so while I was, and that was part of my experience as a coach is kind of learning, you know, not one training program fits all and just kind of learning what that takes and also learning that over time, what worked for you before won't necessarily work for you now and having to be able to adjust and switch. I wanted to bring these tools to athletes or people that wish to pursue these goals in Kuwait or anywhere really. And so I'm hoping at the end of this month that it will be up and going. I've been working very hard on this for a while now, um, but I would like to uh, coach athletes in uh, running through an online program and uh, kind of just kind of teach them, uh, just kind of give them the tools of what it takes to perform, educate them on what, educate them on what it, what it is to be, I guess, a runner, whether it, whether what to do on a day-to-day basis to kind of give them an individualized training program to pursue whatever goal it is, working around their schedules um, and time as well. So that's kind of where I'm going with that. That well, I would love to have a three to four week training camp where I would be there at a physical, physically there for them as well. That, that sounds amazing. That sounds that sounds super amazing, especially because you're kind of shepherding in some of the newer athletes. I mean, it's something I think parents and kids, teenagers, like they should definitely take advantage of that. You know, especially when it's homegrown local talent. Yeah, I think that is definitely our next step in Kuwait, and um, being able to, I think, you know, for one, uh, we have a lot of health issues in Kuwait. You know, heart rates, uh, heart issues, uh, obesity, a lot of things that people go to use our health system for. And there are things that can be fixed by exercise and running can really help just to keep you healthy. And also for those that want to be a bit more competitive or reach that personal record and just don't have the tools. I know I didn't have the right tools while I grew up. And just to kind of get those tools out there. I know there's been a lot more competitive athletes emerging. I'm not sure if it's social media that's allowing me to see these athletes. Because I know when I was in high school, Instagram was non-existent. And now Instagram is such a huge thing that that's the way I've been noticing a lot of the athletes that are emerging in Kuwait. But it would be nice to give them another option in being able to compete and also giving them a a more financially better situation as well. I know that was a little hard for me too. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of the tougher things. And, you know, hopefully inshallah, it's something that does come to fruition, especially for the younger athletes. And I think when you have a Kuwaiti coach, there's a different level of connection. When I used to dive for Atia Club, we had our Russian coach and then we had one of our Kuwaiti coaches who won, I think, silver or gold in the Asian Games. And he won in like the late 1980s, but he could connect to us on a completely different level. How did you feel with the connection with your coaches? I mean, are you more Americanized, so to speak, you know, such as myself, where the connection was easy or was there something missing? I connected very differently with each coach. I know with one of them, he just knew how to tap into my mental state. He just knew what to say and how to get me feeling relaxed before a race. And the other one, you know, is more about here's the program and kind of go out and do it. And so I think I had different relationships with each, but I get what you're saying of having that culture background, especially with those in Kuwait. Not only that, just to also have an understanding of what it's like to run in Kuwait. I know one of some of the challenges I have when I come to Kuwait and running is kind of getting out with the door and dealing with the heat that we have or the humidity. And, you know, I've done a lot of research on that and it's actually shows that it helps with your plasma and it can actually help you in the future. And so kind of learning how to change athlete's pace, because you know, when you first start running in heat and humidity, I might not be running as fast 
as I would with better, almost kind of like running in altitude in a sense that, you know, especially when the humidity, there's not that much oxygen in the air that you can't run as fast. I mean, you can run speed. I mean, I can go and run a really fast 300 on the track, but when it came down to doing like my tempo miles where a six mile tempo would have been easy for me here, it's a little bit more, it's much harder in a country such as Kuwait where there's heat and humidity to deal with. And so trying to learn what time of day to run, you know, for me, it was more Morning time is the best because it's the coolest. Um, you know, the heat seems to still linger at night around six or seven, even when you come at night. But I think it's also getting your body to adjust to the heat. And just to know, knowing that is, I think, a, a huge uh, benefit for athletes that are in Kuwait, just when you're getting online coaches, something to think about. But also just the cultural aspect, you know, especially for women being allowed to run outside. I know some people aren't allowed to run um, as they please. I know one time I was in Kuwait running outside near my neighborhood and this guy comes out of his home and he had this stick he pulled up and he ran behind me and said, you're too skinny to run. And so it's just understanding. <laughs> that sounds the, like something that would happen in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty funny sight. But just kind of understanding the uh, cultural difference as well. Yeah, no, that makes a huge difference. Now, Pete, how can people get in touch with you? Is it mainly through the gram? Like, you know, they can just contact you. We'll put all of your contact info in the uh, show notes in terms of yeah, Instagram. So my website, it's not up and going yet, but it's getting there. It's uh, com. So my company is called Intalock, which is in Arabic. It means like fresh start, new beginning, kind of goes... How do you spell that? Uh, I-N-T-I-L-A-Q. And it kind of goes with, you know, my whole story of, you know, just kind of having a fresh start, new beginning and uh, creating an opportunity for change. And uh, that's what the Arabic uh, translates to fresh start. And so uh, that's the one way they can communicate with me once this site is hopefully up and running. Hopefully at the end of this month is the goal. And then they can reach me uh, in other ways they'll be able to communicate through is WhatsApp, email, uh, phone, they can. I only have a. I only have a U.S. number at this point, and that's why WhatsApp will probably be the best option. That's awesome. That is. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And it was. I mean, your your story is truly phenomenal. I can't p- put myself in your shoes as a sixteen year old. <laughs> you know, trying to learn how to run off blocks for the first time two weeks before, you know, the Olympics. That's that that story is amazing. And I, I think every Kuwaiti should be extremely proud of what you did. I mean, that is so hard to do as a kid. So I'm not even Kuwaiti, but I know living there and just being in the fitness scene. And yeah, I I have a lot of pride for what you've done for that country. And I think that there's a lot of support there. If you're not feeling it, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that are definitely behind you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I know that there are other athletes out they're struggling with the same, some of the same struggles that I'm facing as well. Frustrating and comforting to know you're not alone, right? <laughs> Frustrating that anybody else has to go through it, but comforting to know that there's others. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely helps when you feel like you have a sense of community and you're just not alone in this. I think that's why communication and just sharing each other's stories is a huge step in the right direction. Well, it was so amazing to meet you. I'm going to keep an eye out for anything you do stateside here since I'm so close to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But yeah, I would love to come and support and hopefully meet you in person sometime. Hopefully. When you're racing in October, definitely tag us in something on Instagram so we can post it because if I can make it out there... With my five-year-old son, I would love to be there so he can witness just seeing him see people compete, you know, is just something kids need to be exposed to. And I try to get my kid out there as much as possible. Definitely. Um, so the opening ceremony, just so you know, is October 20th. And I believe the race goes until the end of October. Um, there'll be races from sprinting events to the field events to the distance events. And I'll be racing in the 800 meter and possibly, I'm um, not sure yet, in the 15, which I believe one is on the 27th and the 28th. And I'll put more information on my Instagram soon. That's awesome. That's great. I mean, you know, you'll you'll have at least two fans, uh, you know, two definite fans that are coming to that one. <laughs> Me and my son. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we'll, appreciate it. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be there definitely to support. You know, I think that's one thing that we need to start doing as a community is supporting our athletes, you know, whether definitely. it's running, soccer. You know, soccer is the biggest one, but it's the other sports that no one really goes out to see. That's where people do need that support. So yeah, I'll definitely be there. Oh, thank you. I'm sure we'll all appreciate it. Well, best of luck to you, Donna. Thank you very much. It was very nice to meet you all. You too. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.